Good morning and welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, Larry Jones. My co-host, KG Smooth, has the morning off. And we get started with, as we do, the issues of the week. And oh, by the way, let's say happy Thanksgiving to you, because when this show airs, we will have gone through Thanksgiving. So we want to wish you the best holiday season. Um, And we'll talk about that in COVID-19 and what differences that has brought to all of us. But to get the show started today, we bring in Dr. Reagan Anderson, health care or death care. And Doc, we have seen uh, the Affordable Care Act go through a lot of challenges and changes. Can you bring us up to speed on what's going on right now after the Supreme Court uh, had their decision just the other day? Right. So the Supreme Court heard the the case. It was Texas versus California is is, uh, what they're calling it. But it's not just Texas. It's 18 different states um, plus two individuals who are suing and are claiming, again, that the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, if you will, is uh, unconstitutional and uh, should be repealed. Why is that a sticking point for so many folk, Doc? I, I don't I... I'm at a loss when it helps so many people. Well, it does help a lot of people. It's done a lot of good. Like anything in life, it's not perfect. So there are some things that should be adjusted and tweaked based off of lessons learned. But I think it's mostly a a partisan power play. I mean, the Democrats are still um, holding on to the victory, and the Republicans are still very mad that it was pushed through in 2010. Uh, This is, again, the third time that the Supreme Court has heard an argument to to try to dismantle it. And I think that throwing the baby out with the bathwater might not be the most productive way forward. I think what we should do is find out the good things. And there are plenty of good things about the Affordable Care Act. Make them better and figure out the things that were kind of a misfire and, and redirect those to the proper target. I remember hearing President Obama say that it, it wasn't perfect and he was open to listen to anyone who could help add to this Affordable Care Act that will help so many Americans. But the pushback has always amazed me. Is it it just that because they didn't think of it or Mr. Obama is black or I'm at a loss? Yeah, I can't speak for other people and what their motivations are. I I do know that for some people, health care costs have gone down and for some people, they've gone up. I do know that you know, the Affordable Care Act made, did some really good things like uh, make preventative services and immunizations free. Uh, they mandated it. Uh, they did things with pre-existing conditions, which 135 million people in America estimated under the age of 65 have pre-existing conditions. And so it's not discriminatory towards them anymore. It made things like gender rating um, illegal. So it used to be that women oftentimes paid one and a half times the premiums that men paid because, uh, you know, the insurance companies deemed them to be more expensive to, to insure. And so it made stuff like that illegal. Uh, it, it did, you know, it did just a lot of good. Um, and, and I wish that we would stop putting so much energy into dismantling it and instead say, okay, this is what we've got. Let's make it better. It, it seems like a way better use of, you know, if this were to go away, if, if, First of all, the Supreme Court doesn't even know if the case has standing. And that's a legal term that, quite frankly, I had to look up. But you have to be harmed in some way to to bring a lawsuit forward. 
And in 2017, Congress took the individual mandate down to zero dollars. So there's really no penalty anymore. And so what the justices were talking about last week were, well, if there's no penalty, where's the standing? Who's being harmed? Mm-hmm. So that's the first knock against this lawsuit. The second knock against it is, you know, they've already decided that the individual mandate is constitutional. It's a tax. The Republicans are now saying, well, if the tax is zero dollars, it's not a tax. Therefore, throw out the whole case uh, or sorry, throw out the whole law. It's unconstitutional. And that flies in the face of another um, precedent in, in legal matters of severability. So they try to not, if there's one problem with the contract, they try not to throw out the whole contract. They fight, try to fix that one problem or what, make that one problem null and void. And so the courts are saying, look, in 2017, they reduced the Congress, reduced the individual mandate down to zero dollars. If Congress's intention was to get rid of the whole thing, they would have voted on it because they didn't vote on it. Then we can just remove the individual mandate sever it from the rest of the contract and keep the ACA afloat. So there's lots of problems with this lawsuit. And even though there's a conservative majority in the Supreme Court right now, both Roberts and Kavanaugh both suggested that there really is no merit to dismantle all of the ACA yet again. So my grandmother's, the, the listeners who were confused through all of this, because it's sometimes way too difficult to keep up with. We're okay sure. today with our Affordable Care Act, whatever we have through the Obama health care plan. It's, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't Now They have until June, July of 2021 to actually make a ruling on this. But again, um, the three liberals who are on there, uh, will vote like they voted in the past or like they should uh, vote predictably this time. It, it's always hard to, to count your, your chickens before they hatch. But uh, again, both Roberts and Kavanaugh, both typically conservative, uh, have again said that either there's questions of standing and even if uh, there is standing, they're not going to throw the whole thing out. They don't see merit to it. So that's five out of the nine. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get a couple of even the more conservatives like Thomas or Alito or, or Gorsuch to say, um, you know, this, this, we're not going to throw this out. So I, I don't think that this is going to happen. If it did happen, it would hurt an enormous, it hurt 20 million Americans. Mm-hmm. It would make prescription drugs more expensive. It would, I mean, the ramifications of this are, are just, they're far reaching. And I think that's why, by the way, Senator McCain in 2016 gave the infamous emperor's thumbs down <laughs> yes. to, to trying to repeal uh, the ACA. And he did it probably because he doesn't like Trump very much, but also because they did not put forward anything else to replace it. They were just throwing it out and leaving an enormous vacuum. And especially in medicine, especially during a pandemic, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater without having a, a replacement immediately ready to, to go forward. Now, that's why McCain turned his thumb down. The Supreme Court is only worried about constitutionality. They're not worried about the other ramifications. Uh, but as an American people, we sure should be. Well, Doc, I, I got excited, and, and excuse me if I put my left foot before my right, but 
when I saw you were coming on and we were going to talk about the Affordable Care Act, I jumped right in without proper introduction. And folk on the podcast smile because it's a great day in the city of Houston. And we have Dr. Reagan Anderson on the podcast this first half hour. Doc, give us your background. Tell us about the things you've done, the stuff you're working on, and, and, and what good we can look forward to from you in 2021. Well, the most important thing is I'm an American. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I fought for this country. I was and still am willing to die for this country. I did two tours in Iraq as the first reconnaissance battalion surgeon. And I came back and I got out of the military and I became a dermatologist. And so now I'm a dermatologist in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I mostly treat skin cancers and then do the surgical reconstruction afterwards to give people back their appearance or function. Um, and I just wrote a book called Universal Death Care, A Solution for Healthcare in the Age of Entitlement. And that book is designed to tell people stories about war and stories about medicine in America, and then to use it as a way of trying to educate people as to why our healthcare is how it is in America right now, and more importantly, what we can do to make it better. I'm not interested in finger pointing. I'm not interested in he did this and she did that. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in, in solutions yes. that we can all live with that make our system better. Uh -huh. So that's what I'm up to now. I'm trying to use, I have a master of public health and other degrees and such, but I am trying to use all of my experiences in education to find a way forward that everybody can agree with and that we can get this country healthy again. You know, we are, when you rate healthcare systems across the planet, we are 37th on the planet. Hmm. That's what our rating is. That's an F minus in my opinion. And we need to stop saying everything about America is the best. I love this country, uh, but we need to take an honest look at what we need to improve upon and healthcare. It ought to be at the top of the list. I applaud your position because you come from a common sense angle to my ear, which is as refreshing as this beautiful day we're living in right now. And your analogies and what we should do, reset, readjust, look at, take a hard internal look and say, hey, we, we can improve on so many things, especially with health care. And, and, and I, I, I thank you for that. And, of course, the, the service you've, you've, you've given to our country and your position is that you'll die for America is, uh, is just amazing to me and to everyone who's ever served. Uh, I salute and applaud you. But how Absolutely, you, it was my privilege. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, we we we've we've had a chance on the podcast to speak with um, several men and women of different branches, um, the disabled vets, the paralyzed veterans association, and and uh, we're just marvel at the courage and compassion that one individual will have to serve his fellow countrymen, and that needs to be applauded. Thank you, sir. How did you come up with the title, The the uh, Universal Death Care, A Solution for Healthcare in the Age of Entitlement? That's a fascinating well, title. Yeah, all day long I treat death and disease. Mm. We, we're taught very little in either medical school or even elementary school on how to prevent diseases. And so what doctors and healthcare providers do our entire lives is treat diseases that most of which, the vast majority of which could have been prevented 
if people just took care of themselves. And, you know, even as a doctor, I was taught little to no preventative strategies um, to take care of this. So it's death care. I mean, I, mm. there's no other way to say it. We need to get to prevention. It's way better to prevent your tire from blowing up from a nail in it when you're in your driveway and you, you know, replace your tire than it is at 70 miles an hour on the highway. And that's what we're doing all day long in medicine. And then in the age of entitlement, it's we think that we can eat whatever we want, not exercise, drink whatever we want, smoke whatever we want, and that we're going to be able to go to our doctor and they're going to be able to snap their fingers and within a moment's time reverse 50 years of bad decisions. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. No, sir. You know, 50 to 85% of all healthcare dollars that are spent are spent treating enormously preventable diseases if people would have healthful habits, 50 to 85%. And the worst part about that is, is that our poor health choices, they accumulate over a lifetime. And so when we get to be Medicare age 65, now we're on the government's dime. So a whole lifetime of bad choices, now the government has to pay for. And Medicare is set to go bankrupt in 2026. Mm. And so, you know, we keep down this path of, of what we're doing, uh, we will not have a healthcare system. We will not have a sustainable healthcare system and it's all going to unwrap for our eyes. So, so you, your book talks, that's the stark title. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. Reagan Anderson is our guest today. Doc, I'd like to be able to follow you, uh, on your social media or website. You have that information? Yes, sir. If you just uh, type in my name, uh, www.reaganbeasandboyanderson.com, it has everything there. I have a YouTube channel. It's all linked to there. But my mission is education and, and empowerment. If everybody listening to this takes away one message from here, it's that the best way to stop the COVID virus for you to be individually healthy. We know that it, it, it preys on people with pre-existing conditions and who have other health problems. Be healthy, live your potential, contribute to this great country, and then nothing will be able to stop us. I was about to turn to COVID-19, and uh, without getting too deep in the woods, uh, President-elect Biden has a team that's ready to go. We just got some information this morning that Pfizer has a 95% um, success rate with the testing of this virus. How... I want to say this correctly. The credibility. How how will we know, Doc, that this vaccine is safe for everyone to use? You have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, vaccines saved more lives throughout history than all underscore all other medical interventions combined. And we have a very rigorous process to test these out. They are enormously safe. And they're going through all the processes. They're expedited, and it's uh, many different companies are working in tandem to do this. So that's a little unusual. But they still have to go through phase one, two, and three trials. They still have to collect safety data and how well it works. So I think people can take heart that all of those processes have gone through. And if you're still paranoid about it, Trump isn't going to be in office. So the chances that President Trump could do something that would make this virus go forward, even if it weren't safe, and Biden would allow it, 
I mean, I think that's a huge stretch. First of all, I think it's a stretch if President Trump would do it in the first place. But now we have Republicans and Democrats all looking at this, and it's all going to be handled by both of them. I'm pretty sure they're, they're fairly quick to point out the flaws in the other. And I don't think there's any way possible that this could be ramrodded through, uh, mm-hmm. given that everything that's happening politically. I'm a child of the polio era. And I, yes, I remember they put the vaccine in a little sugar cube for us to take. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, we were all standing in line. And, you know, at five, six years old, you don't know, but I'm sure there was some pushback on that polio vaccine um, as much as, as, as a possibility of COVID-19. But this, this is a tough booger and I really want our listeners to know from a, a, a legitimate medical source that when the vaccine becomes available you should you should be vaccinated. Just like a flu 100%. shot. Okay. Hundred percent. Listen, I, I've been a principal investigator before for bringing new drugs to market. Okay. It is an enormously laborious and detailed process to make sure it's safe. And again if you don't believe the scientists that were going through all of that uh, properly, believe that a Republican would would pull the wool over uh, on a Democrat and vice versa if there was any wrongdoing. I I think that this is going to be enormously safe. I think our biggest problems are going to be getting it out, the logistics of getting it to 350 million Americans, as well as uh, all uh, people on this great planet. Um, so but I don't think there's going to be any worry about safety. If there is, it will not pass through the FDA. It will not get an emergency use. It will stop in its tracks and science will have done what it's supposed to do. So doc, on our final few minutes um, with this new explosion of the virus across the country, um, is shutting down a real possibility or just, keep practicing social distancing, washing hands, using the, the hand sanitizer and wearing a, a face covering. Uh, would that be our I best think, option? Well, I, I think that prudence and scientific reasoning is our best option. Mm. And everybody realizing that we have a personal and collective responsibility for each other and ourselves. So I hope it doesn't shut down again across the country. If necessary, then we will need to. But I hope that we can just Put our masks on, social distance, wash our hands, be smart, don't go to parties, limit crowds, protect our elderly, protect the vulnerable. And I think that if we can all get on board with this and realize this is not political, this is just science, people. Do your part. Yes, it's annoying. But the more that we do our part, the quicker this will be over. And that's what I'd encourage everybody is please, please, please. I promise you science is not partisan. It is science. It's a process. And if we can all do our part, it will be over sooner than we think. Dr. Reagan Anderson, we'll leave right there, sir. We thank you for your time. The name of your book again, my friend? It is Universal Death Care, a solution for healthcare in the age of entitlement. And it's available everywhere. On Amazon, it's on my website. Yep, I guess that's everywhere. (laughs) Well, enjoy your beautiful Colorado view, my friend. And thank you for being a part of the podcast. It's been a privilege, sir. Thank you kindly. And we'll have more of the Public Affairs Podcast right after this. Welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. 
The podcast originates from your local Houston BMW Center Studios. All right, my friends, welcome back to the podcast. And we're on the line with our dear friend, John Huckleby, who is the CEO of AIDS Foundation Houston. And of course, it's that time of year, World AIDS Day, December 1st, and AIDS Foundation Walk. So, John, welcome to the podcast. And bring us up to speed before we start getting into the details with COVID-19. How has this transformed one of our favorite organizations to partner with? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the question. Uh, COVID-19 obviously has made this a challenging year for so many Houstonians and our hearts go out to all of those who have been impacted and affected uh, by COVID. Uh, For us, um, you know, one of my first priorities is to make sure that our folks are safe, you know, that our employees and volunteers are as safe as possible. Uh, we've been in a modified operations uh, stance since the middle of March. Um, when when our folks can work remotely, uh, we do that, but we don't stop serving our patients and our residents and our clients. Uh, so, you know, we continue to provide food and supportive housing, HIV and STI testing, uh, treatments for STIs, uh, PrEP, you know, all the things that we're passionate about. Uh, to bring it into the HIV epidemic in Houston. We continue to do, we're just having to do it differently uh, during this COVID season. Well, I've always said we have some of the best and brightest minds and most creative and innovative people in the city of Houston, anywhere else on the planet. And if there's a way to get it done, we'll find a way to get it done. That's so, Mr. Huckabee, let's jump into um, the, the, World, the, the World AIDS Day, of course, this is going to be a, a virtual event this year. How, how are we doing this? Yeah, you know, uh, that's another impact of COVID-19. Uh, World AIDS Day is near and dear to my heart uh, and to all of our hearts at AIDS Foundation Houston. It's the one day a year when really the world uh, calls on its community uh, to remember those who have died uh, of HIV and also Um, to focus new attention on where we are with ending the pandemic. And uh, normally we would do a luncheon uh, where we would invite people to gather in large groups. But of course, we're not going to do that this year because of safety concerns. And so, yeah, we're very excited to have a virtual event on World AIDS Day, Tuesday, December 1st at six o'clock. And it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be a new a new type of event for us, but I think that the effect will be the same in bringing awareness once again to HIV in the Houston community. John, can you tell us uh, a little bit of the lineup, who's going to be with you, and how people can sew into uh, our, our foundation? Yeah, uh, so the, the lineup is at 6 o'clock we get started, and uh, the evening is going to be a one-hour event. And we're really happy to have again with us this year as our MC, uh, Houston Public Media's Ernie Manus. Mm-hmm. And he is going to be taking us through the one hour uh, show. We're going to have presentations by some of our local officials. Mayor Turner will be there, Judge Hidalgo, uh, former Houston Mayor Anise Parker will be there. Um, the fashion designer Mondo Guerra, who was with us last year in person at the luncheon. 
and last year's honoree, Bruce Richmond, uh, who is the founder of U Equals U. And that's the campaign that reminds us that people living with HIV who achieve viral suppression uh, are incapable of transferring the virus to another person through sex. And so we're going to have um, all of those folks with us. We're going to have uh, America's Got Talent semifinalist Christina Wells. We're going to have Houston Drag superstar Desi Love Blake with us. It's really going to be a fun evening, but also an evening to remember those we've lost and um, to really talk about the hope we have for the future and ending the epidemic. I had a chance to take a picture with Desi last year. I, I was just stunning, just absolutely <laughs> stunning. And yeah. cannot wait. Oh my for, God! For that, <laughs> for that show, yeah, oh, it's gonna be fun. Just a just a just a great human being and a lot of fun. So we're we're setting the stage for our show, which is uh, December first, six p.m. Uh, what's uh, what's the uh, address, uh, John, so we can follow along, see it, be a part of it? What's the web address, Absolutely. please? Yeah, all, all folks need to do is go to worldaidsdayhouston.org, mm-hmm. worldaidsdayhouston.org. They'll learn all about the show, and they can purchase the tickets there. The tickets start as low as $5. We just want as many people as possible to join us for that event. And then once they buy the ticket, then they'll get the link uh, for joining the show uh, on Tuesday, December 1st at 6 o'clock. Excellent, sir. Um, we've unfortunately lost a lot of loved ones, uh, due to HIV and this, this, this whole unfortunate, uh, virus. Where does Houston rank in the country, um, in, in terms of transmissions and are we, are we getting better or are we getting worse? We are, uh, 11th in the country, uh, in regard to the, the major cities. Uh, with HIV transmission. Uh, We average in the Houston area about 1,200 new cases each year. We are beginning to see uh, some encouraging signs. However, Uh, last year we saw a slight decrease in the number of new cases or at least confirmed cases. We're also um, seeing a lot of progress with regard to medications. We have once a pill that is available, it's called PrEP, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis. And uh, when a person takes PrEP, it's the daily pill, uh, if they take that pill consistently, their chances of acquiring HIV go down by 99%. So it's a huge, uh, it's not a vaccine, it's a daily pill, but and we offer that um, at AFH at no charge, no cost. Um, this is a, a real game changer, I think, for, mm-hmm. for Houston and for the country uh, with regard to helping people uh, from acquiring HIV. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, with U equals U, you know, the science shows us that the treatments have come a long way and that uh, if a person is on treatment, and their viral load becomes so low that it can't be picked up on a regular test, um, they're not capable of transferring the virus uh, to their loved ones. So, so this is uh, some real advancements. And I think that what we need to do and what, what I'm so grateful for you about is that you're helping us to get that message out. Oh, absolutely. Our pleasure. John Huckabee, 
I was going to ask you about prep. I, you've, we, we've seen the commercials on, on television, and I was just so curious. Um, how does it work? How was it developed? And who can get it? But you just said it's absolutely free through your, your organization. Um, I, I just, I, we commend you for that. Honestly, it's. Uh, thank, thank you for that. We, we work in partnership with Gilead. Gilead is the maker of, of the two drugs. There's mm-hmm. one approved for women and there's two drugs approved for men. And uh, they, you know, they help uh, support us so that we can provide uh, that medication free of charge. And, and, and I think that, you know, what's important is that, that a lot of times people think of prep and they think, Oh my goodness, I can't afford it. Or will my insurance pay for it? Uh, we'll work with you to make sure that you can have, uh, you know, if, if you're indicated for it, that uh, you can have access um, to, to these important new medications that are available. John, can we talk about some of the myths and put out that flame about who can contract what, and let's just dismiss that if we can today. And then I want to put the web information back up so because uh, I know there's someone listening right now who says, I need this. So we'll, I'm going to try to tackle at least three different subjects in one swing. But the, 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 the unfortunate stereotype of HIV and yeah. AIDS, can we, can we chew on that for a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think, and I appreciate uh, the question because uh, the answers to those questions are, are what's going to help save lives, right? So, so one of the, the stereotypes might be, well, uh, I'm not gay, let's say, and so therefore I'm not at risk for HIV, right? Um, and that is a myth because um, HIV is not a gay disease. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, HIV is a sexually transmittable infection, right? And so uh, if a person is sexually active, um, regardless of how they identify with their sexuality or gender identity, um, the risks are all the same, right, with regard to sexual activity. So, you know, anyone who is engaging in sexual activity, men, women, uh, it's very important that each person be able to assess their risk. And we certainly can help with that uh, in our confidential pretest counseling um, because we're all equally at risk if we're sexually active. And I think that's an important uh, consideration. A lot of times in our conversations, for example, with women, um, there's not always the perception that they may be at risk. And so what we want to help them to know is if you are at risk, here is PrEP that can help you Mm. to protect yourself from acquiring HIV. John Huckabee, our special guest, we're getting ready for AIDS Day Houston, which is uh, December 1st, and it's going to be virtual starting at 6 Uh, o'clock. What's that address again, John? Yeah, so it's worldaidsdayhouston.org, and all the information is there, and they can buy the tickets and then they'll get an email with a link to the, to the show uh, the day of. Through your years of working with the foundation, John, what has been the most heartwarming and compassionate story or stories you can share? Because I know there's, there's always an upside to anything. And uh, I, I, if you have a story, I'd, I'd love for you to share with our audience this morning. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I've been involved with AFH for a long time, so there are a lot of stories. I think about 
some of the children who come to our annual summer camp mm. uh, and, uh, you know, who have been living with HIV um, as children who have felt alone, who maybe haven't understood exactly what's going on with them. Uh, and to be able to find that camaraderie, that, uh, that friendship, that socialization that they need to help them understand what's going on with them. Um, I can think about um, some of the, the men and women who have come to us, including trans women who come to us who, who don't have a place to live. Mm. Maybe, maybe they've disconnected from family or loved ones, and they need a place to live so that they can feel safe and get on treatment. And I think about those spaces. I think about those people. Uh, and I'm so proud of the work that our staff and volunteers do because that is that is changing lives uh, in a very real, impactful way when somebody who had no place to go suddenly has a very dignified, safe space that they can call their own. And And to me, our mission has always been about who are the persons who are hardly reached? Who are the persons who are not served? Who are the persons who are marginalized and discriminated against? Mm. That's who we want to focus on. That's our mission, uh, because we believe that every human person has dignity. And for far too long, people living with HIV uh, have often been marginalized. And, and we want to end that stigma uh, and, and be very conscious in the way that we include people in our care. John, our society can be very cruel and mean to people who don't look like or walk like or sound like or look like us. And it's, it, it, it's, it can be stressful to some people who maybe don't have enough self-esteem or, or lacking a little extra love. And I, I'm, I'm getting to the point of, the transgender community, because I've I've seen the news stories of this brutality and these assaults. And so part of my question is, is the transgender community always been here or is this a new thing? Uh, are we just learning more about them? Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about how all of this is, is coming to pass. Yeah, the transgender community has been with us. And unfortunately, all too often, um, our politics, our uh, faith institutions, our uh, societal norms have marginalized and discriminated uh, against and caused members of the trans communities to become invisible. And I'm so grateful for all of the activists and the advocates who are standing up and speaking out against the violence and the marginalization and who are really calling for um, policy, uh, for example, things such as um, gender affirming care, mm. you know, for uh, for persons who need hormone therapy. Um, this is something that um, is not easily attainable. Um, and we as an organization are working very hard to begin uh, a process where we can provide that service in 2021 for our transgender community. Uh, so, yes, it, it, you know, the, the violence uh, is a product of the, the bias that is a product of the misinformation mm -hmm. that is a product of the lack of education. And so we, we feel a real responsibility not only to inform and to educate, 
but also to provide real services, which is why in our programs, in our supportive housing, for example, we welcome members of the transgender community. We welcome people to identify their gender in the way that is comfortable for them. And that's so important because if, if we're not going to affirm people where they are, hmm. how can we say that we're upholding their dignity as persons? And John, I know there could be a transgender person listening right now that might need your help. How can they reach you, sir? Yeah, what I would say to members of the transgender community is we hear you. We want to journey with you. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're not here to tell you what should happen. We're here to listen. And and we want to extend that invitation. And certainly um, you can call us at at our main number. You can look us up at AIDSHelp.org, um, and, and we will absolutely uh, reach out to you and let you know what we have to offer and listen to you about what your needs are that may not yet be available. Sometimes only a person only needs a, can, a kind hand, and, and, and my mom always reminded me. She said, babe, how much does it cost to be kind? Mm-hmm. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so just just a little compassion, um, a listening kind ear and and a, and a warm meal can go zillions of miles in, in restoring mm-hmm. a person's uh, esteem, finding their purpose to go ahead and do what they're supposed to do in life and enjoy life. I mean, that's 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 really all we want folk to do is is find themselves, feel good about yourself, and in, enjoy life and, and know that uh, you have a safe place um, with us. John Huckleby, CEO of AIDS Foundation Houston, is on today. Uh, in these last few minutes, John, just before we set it up for the program uh, in December, is there anything we need to know through this COVID season to help the community stay safe? Yeah, you know, it's we hear, first of all, I think we, we acknowledge this has been a long season. Yes. Uh, uh, maybe it's been longer than it needed to be, but it's been a long season and we're not done with this season. And I think that that's the challenge. You know, people are tired of hearing things like wear your mask and wash your hands and use sanitizer and keep six feet apart or more from each other, especially with the holidays coming up. I mean, that's so very challenging. You know, the, our social connections to the people we love, this is so important to us. And then to be asked at the holidays, reconsider your plans. Um, it, it, it's difficult. And I think the first thing we need to do is to acknowledge that it's difficult. The second thing we need to do is to remind people that COVID is on the rise in Houston again. And, and that COVID is taking lives. Um, and so we have to think about what our risks are and we have to think about um, when we are making our plans, you know, what potential impact could that have on us and on others. And so, you know, I, I don't think it's a, a one solution that fits all, but I think that uh, at least for the next few months or so, we're still very much in it. And, and that's why I think we are very, very aware of our patients, of our clients, of our residents and our housing programs, of our staff and volunteers to make sure that we're doing everything that we can do, giving them the PPE that they need, allowing them to work remotely, but still providing the services. And I think when it comes to the holidays, each of us has to think about that for our own families and our loved ones. 
Absolutely. Well said, sir. John Huckleby, we're getting ready for a big, big event Tuesday, December 1st, 6 p.m. Walk me through it one more time, my friend. Yeah, so it's going to be a one-hour event, 6 o'clock, Tuesday, December 1st. It's going to be a great hour. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also going to be uh, remembering those whom we have lost. And so you can go to worldaidsdayhouston.org to register for the, for the event. Tickets start at $5. We want to make it so that everybody uh, can join us for that night. And we will meet again, John. I'm just going to share with the audience, my friends, one of the most colorful, fascinating events always took place downtown at Eleanor Tinsley Park. And we just, we enjoyed each other. We loved on each other. And uh, it, it's truly, I miss getting out and I cannot wait to be back with you again next year. John Huckleby, thank, thank you, you so sir. Much. God bless you. God bless your work. And thank you for being a part of the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you.